Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. That Cast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg. And as always, thanks so much uh, for tuning into the show. We've got the big Pac 12 women's basketball co- uh, tournament coming up this weekend in Las Vegas. And to preview and break it all down, Steve Gress from the Corvallis Gazette Times has been nice enough to join me again on the show. To, to be perfectly honest, I, I do have some pretty serious questions about how Oregon State is playing entering the tournament. So I'm going to I'm gonna have Steve here and ba- bounce a couple ideas off of him and, and see if he feels the same way I do, or maybe he thinks uh, I'm just overreacting a little bit to the way the Beavers have played the last couple weeks. Before Steve does join the show, I did want to talk a little Oregon State baseball because after two weeks down in Surprise, Arizona, the Beavers returned home last weekend and played their first games at Goss Stadium since winning the 2018 College World Series title. As most of you probably do know, uh, Oregon State took two or three from West Virginia, and we, for the most part, got pretty terrific weather at Goss over the weekend. Friday night was certainly a little bit chilly, uh, but I, you know, we, we could not have asked for better weekend or for better weather over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. To kick it off game one uh i have to give a lot of credit to all the fans who stuck it out because it it was very chilly in the later innings and i just i could not have been more impressed with the crowd at goss it was over 3,500 fans packed loud and it just made for a great atmosphere on a night in which it wouldn't have surprised me if the crowd would have only been 75 percent full or something so credit to all the fans who stuck it out and the ones who did uh were able to witness kevin abel who was just terrific against West Virginia ace Alec Manoa and the Beavers you know the, the the Beavers looked a little iffy in the first inning offensively against Manoa who's a really big hard-throwing right-hander very he's likely going to go very early in June's draft but but Manoa he kind of lost his control in the second and Oregon State was able to capitalize and hit him around a bit and uh, it ended up being a runaway win for the Beavers Saturday's game, too, there wasn't a ton of offense for Oregon State outside of a couple Bo Phillip home runs and an Adley Rutschman homer. You know, Bryce Femmel was was just great as always. And I really liked also what I saw from Christian Chamberlain in relief. That uh, the little hard-throwing freshman arm just kind of came in and slammed the door. In game three on Sunday, uh, that was Oregon State's only loss of the series, only loss of the season. And it really was kind of just a bizarre game. Uh, you know the, the Beavers drew nine walks against a, a really really wild West Virginia starter in Cade Stroud, but uh, Oregon State was just the you know the baseball gods were not on their side. They hit into five double plays, hit some balls sharply right at people, and uh, at a certain point in that one, it just you know kind of became ridiculous honestly. And it was just it was pretty clear that it was going to be one of those days for the Beavers. So, you know, after three weekends then, Oregon State uh, up to number four, actually, in the latest D1Baseball.com uh, top 25 and sitting at 10-1 and overall. It, it really has been a, a great, great start for interim head coach Pat Bailey. The, the Beavers have defended and pitched, I, I would say, at truly an elite level. 
and you know the the offense is still a work in progress but but i think we all expected that just with replacing so many names in the lineup uh, it'll be pretty interesting to see if they can get the sticks going a little bit more here this weekend at the seattle baseball showcase that's a three-day tournament at up at t-mobile park uh man that that sure sounds weird doesn't it it's going to take me uh it's going to take me a long time to get used to calling safeco field t-mobile park yikes but uh anyway the beavers will face minnesota indiana and coastal carolina this weekend uh, should be some really really good competition up in seattle as oregon state readies for pac-12 play as always thank you guys so much uh, for listening to the beaver buzz podcast part of the that cast podcast network you can find my podcast plus many others on the site uh, I'm going to be covering the 5A State Boys Basketball Tournament all week at Gill Coliseum. And word on the street, I believe, is that Billy Gates from the Oregon High School Sports Podcast and Behind the Clubhouse Store is also going to be there, I think, doing that for OSA. You know, maybe we'll be able to coordinate a crossover pod in the future because I, I do believe Billy is a big, big baseball fan. The Beaver Buzz Podcast, uh, we're also available on iTunes and Spotify. So please subscribe, rate, and review. And now, let's get to my, my former boss, Corvallis at Times sports editor, Steve Grass. Redline rocks! Redline is special because we got three different types of training going. We have 20-minute speed, 20-minute skill, and the rest is uh, weightlifting. It's really cool, so it's going to get me really ready for college. Come down and join the Redline team here in Clackamas online at redlineathletics.com. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplify. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament begins Thursday at MGM Arena in Las Vegas. So what better time then to go back to the well and bring back Corvallis' at Time Sports Editor and Oregon State's women's beat reporter Steve Grass. We'll have him back on the show. As always, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It should be a, a fun time of the year this week. You know what? March is always a fun time of the year. It's, is that is it is it your busiest month? I mean, March has to be one of the busiest months, right? Not 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 in the fall because March is all. There's so much stuff going on with preps and college. Uh, you know, part of March. I think actually March isn't that bad. I think February is pretty pretty busy because you've got you know Oregon State baseball starting up. You got all the the winter prep sports with swimming and wrestling winding down. Some play out basketball, and then you've got Oregon State men and women kind of going. And so there's, there's I don't know. It, Pretty much it all rolls into one anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I meant when I met by March being busy was the first couple of weeks tend to be really busy because you have those ba- the prep basketball tournaments. Often you're running into yeah. some football stuff. Yeah, Oregon State baseball, Oregon State men's and women's basketball. It just seems like it's pretty busy. Yeah, it's all busy. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is a fun month, though, of being busy. True. For the most part, you've got the Pac-12 tournaments going on and, you know, the NCAA tournament. And, I mean, even if you – don't have a team in it even if you're not covering it it's still a lot of fun to track and be a yeah. part of and it occupies your time whether you're writing about it or just being a fan <laughs> true all right well before we dive into the pac-12 tournament 
let's go ahead and just look back on the week that was for the Oregon State women. Uh, Beavers closed the regular season in the desert uh, with a loss to Arizona State, followed by a two-overtime two win, right? Yeah, double-overtime. Double-overtime yeah. win at Arizona. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend like I was watching either game super closely because I, I was at Goss Stadium all weekend. But, you know, we did have the live stream going in the press box. And from my perspective, it didn't seem like Oregon State was really super sharp in either of those games. So, kind of, do you think, should Oregon State – fans be concerned about the way the team is playing right now as they're entering the postseason i mean i'm gonna say no um you know they were just coming off a week where they beat oregon they beat usc come back from 16 Mm -hmm. to nothing down beat ucla a really really good ucla team that you know had beaten oregon the night two nights before they played some really good basketball there it's a long season and this is the end of an 18 game grind of a Pac-12 conference season on the road and you start off against an Arizona State team that has played you really well for the last two seasons even though you won two of those to start you know last year and now it's the three-game losing streak counting the Pac-12 tournament last year um, just a little bit off that third quarter I mean Arizona State came out on a 13-0 run and just you could just tell that they were playing for something and Oregon State was just trying to maybe get through the end of the season, and and it boom right there. And you take that streak, that little stretch away, and it's it's a really good ball game. Against Arizona, they started off really really strong. You know, I, they were nine nine of 13, 11 of I think they were like eleven of fifteen or eleven of sixteen from the field to start. Yeah, they, and they were terrible after that. They just couldn't yeah. get anything. They had a, they had like a seven minute scoreless streak, and another six or something minute scoreless streak, and yet they still somehow found a way to win. They played really good defensively, you know, to, to hold down Ari McDonald and keep them, you know, keep it a, a game when you're not shooting that well. So. I don't think you should be concerned. I think it's just you got to get through the end of a season, and now they get a little bit of a, a chance to do something a little different in this tournament. They know that they're in the NCAA tournament. You know they're probably going to be a top four seed. So now it's working on some other things and just see if they can in, you know inc- improve their seeding. You know uh, going into the NCAA tournament. Well, you know you make make a very compelling case there. I'm not going to lie, but just to play devil's advocate, I kind of throw out what Oregon State's done the last month because you know if we just mm-hmm. look at it. Starting off, you know, get blown out at Stanford. Then they've got the comeback win, you know, at what we can say what we want, but a pretty mediocre Cal team overall. Didn't play well early in that game. Then, you know, the Beavers, they go, they split the Civil War series. Certainly impressive, but I think we need to acknowledge that Ruthie Hadbird missed a large chunk of the second game. You know, it's a different outcome if she doesn't get hurt. I guess we'll never know, but that, that did happen. Then the Beavers turn around, they gut out two really tight wins at home over the LA schools. I think you got to give them credit for winning, but it's not like they were lights out in either of those. And then, and then we have last weekend's results. So it, to me, it does feel like the team. I mean, to say they're limping into the postseason, that might not be fair. But I just, there's no way they're. You can you? I realize it's a tough schedule, right. but they're they're not firing on all cylinders right now, are well, they? they I, no, they're not playing as well as they have. But I think that that stretch against Oregon, UCLA. Those yeah. those games where you can elevate to a level of, of, of kind of sense of urgency. Now, you also have to look at what this team has kind of gone through the whole course of the season. They're they're one team through the non conference season. They they they're beating Notre Dame in the fourth quarter. They beat South Carolina. Now I know South Carolina's a better team now. So I'm, I'm not saying they beat this South Carolina mm-hmm. team now. That was a team that was that was still learning as well. You know, um, they had a kind of a funk of a loss to Texas A and M, which I just never played well in that game. But you kind of get there, and then you're all set. You're ready to go in Pac-12 season, and then Cat Tudor hurts her knee, 
and she's out, yeah. torn ACL. So they've had to rebuild that team, and they went through some stuff. And, yes, they played the quote-unquote easier part of their schedule at the beginning, which allowed them, which which is probably a really good thing for them because they were able to get wins against teams that they're just more talented mm-hmm. than. Um I think when you watch, you know, some of this, I, you know, everybody talks about the Ruthie Hebert thing, and we won't know. But Oregon State was up seven when she went out. Yeah, and, that's fair. And the, the, in 14 minutes, they had built a seven-point lead. So if fair. you want to go on transitive properties and all these, you know, map it all out, they're going to win that game by 20 or close to it. Or you know, if if you go on that, and you can't do that, obviously. Um, I think they felt very confident they were going to win that game if Hebert win it. They think it. I think they believe the game was closer when she wasn't, and Oregon State had to try to readjust to something completely different than what their game plan was. Yes, I mean, the I didn't like just kind of the whole thing of the Arizona State game. Um, Arizona's a pretty decent team, and they're they're fighting. They were fighting. They're they're fighting to try and you know maybe make a bid. If they win that game, they might get their name in condition and make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. They might make their name and they may somehow sneak in or at least get a higher WNIT bid and and be able to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can see it from either side. I just think this team and what it's done through the course of the season and rebuilt itself. Now you've got the emergence of Joanna Gramick in the middle. I mean, the blocks that she's made in the last few games, you know, I mean, she sealed the game. I mean, she's not fouling where earlier she might have made some fouls. So her progress there gives me just kind of a little bit of a, of a bright spot going into the tournament. Like I think she can become more of a factor than what we thought seven, eight games ago. Um, but no doubt. I mean, I would even start with the Utah game. When you start talking about this, that Utah game, you know, was a struggle for them here to kind of pull it out because they had no post presence really. That was, that could stop Emily, um, Huff and, um, you know, and so, yeah, it, the last part has been good. They've, they've found ways to win, which I like in a, tournament setting and especially you get the first two games at home i don't see a team coming in here and beating them unless they don't play well oregon state doesn't play well and the other team plays really well then you get to the you know you get to another regional sweet 16 then then it's all about matchups no, for sure, and it is it is Pac-12 tournament time now. It's probably no point to really overanalyze, you know, what 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 they've done because ultimately that doesn't matter. And as most of you know, Oregon did win uh, its second straight Pac-12 regular season championship. The the Ducks are the number one seed for the tournament. Stanford seated second. Oregon State third. UCLA four. Uh, those are going to be your four by teams. Uh, none of them are going to play until Friday. Yeah, the Beavers are going to be the 8:30 p.m. Friday game, correct? Against Yippee the Utah, yay. Utah, yeah, the Utah Washington winner. The eight, everyone so loves that. Utah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know we have to for, for purposes of the podcast, we can't assume anything. So yeah, I, I think those uh, top four teams plus Arizona State, uh, fifth seed Arizona State, which we mentioned earlier. To me, those are pretty clearly the main contenders. I guess before we start really diving into the other teams, do you see? any way a team outside of those five would really win the tournament i mean how many 30 point 30 rebound games would it take for christine nigway to have for for cal to pull off some type of magical run i want to say utah because they played oregon state well here they played oregon really well into the fourth quarter before one of their freshmen i forget who it was fouled out and kind of just changed what they do um and they beat stanford so i mean they're all kind of right you know the Stanford and Oregon State are who they would need to get through. So they've proven to be able to play with them. There's just something about this team that lost six in a row that just makes me feel like down the stretch of a game, I'm not so sure they can pull it out when the other teams I feel like can. Um, Arizona State I definitely think is a threat. I, I don't I if I'm Oregon, I really don't like the teams that are on that side of the bracket. I mean Arizona and USC, you beat them both twice and, and you know, fairly 
easily at times. I mean, I, you know, Arizona is just one of those teams that if they if they hit some shots, I think that their athleticism they could give them a run. You know, that's they're going to play one of those two teams in the quarters. I'm not expecting either of them to beat Oregon. Not on, not with the rest that Oregon has, and you know they'll be ready to go, and they've got so much to play for. But then Arizona State and UCLA, both of those teams, you know, have have played Oregon tough. I mean, obviously, I I don't know. I think the Hebert injury was more of a factor in that game, even though Oregon was up 22 at one point. I just think that as things kind of went south, they weren't able to. That, that it's just just one of those fluky games. It's kind of like the Stanford losing by forty to Oregon is yeah. a fluky game. Not to take anything away from Oregon, but Oregon's not forty points better than Stanford. Forty four, right? That was forty. Is it was 40? 80, 84, 44, I believe, oh, okay. or eighty eight forty eight or something. I, I thought it was forty four. Forty point loss is not indicative of the difference in yeah. those two teams because then because by that point Oregon should have beat. Oregon State by like sixty, <laughs> you know, and we all know that didn't happen. I don't Both think those it did. games were really, really close, you know, down to the wire games. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, UCLA and Arizona State that should be a barn burn, and then you know, probably for Oregon's, you know, sake, maybe those two teams go double overtime and get tired out, and and Arizona State wins it, and they're be on their third game in three days playing Oregon again, and you know, but I mean that's just a, I think that's the tougher side of the bracket. It may not turn out that way, but just looking at it, you know, Utah's nine and nine in conference, but they've got two two point losses to Arizona State, and two losses to USC by like I think ten total points. You flip those, and now you're thirteen and five, and you're a top four mm-hmm. seed, and you know it's not like they're out of the the the, you know, it's not like they were totally out of it, although, so, you know, um, I, but I just think between Oregon and Stan- Oregon State and Stanford, I, I just don't see how those two teams don't both advance to the semifinals. All right. Well, you sold me a little bit there on Utah. So, well, it's, I, I guess I really, I, I kind of written them off a little bit, but I mean, with some of their close results, so maybe we do need to take them seriously. But of the other top teams, I guess it's just going to go through one by mm-hmm. one a little bit. We've, we certainly know a lot about some of them, like Oregon, a perfect example. Clearly, I'm sure the, the betting favorite to win the tournament. I actually was trying to find uh, some odds <laughs> online, but wasn't able to. I, I'm sure the Ducks probably are a small favorite there. They're my and, pick. So, a- anyway, okay. Well, then there you go. The easy case for you to make. So, for me, I, I was looking, go ahead and try to make an argument it shouldn't be hard why you think Oregon would be the team that would ultimately win this Pac-12 they have the five most talented starters in the conference yeah their depth is is something that you don't know I mean uh Taylor Chavez missed the Arizona State game most recent game or both I think it was just the 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 last one you know and if they don't have her I mean she played some big minutes here at at Gill which we're looking at on the court right now. Um, you know, she played some big minutes here and hit a big, big three at the end. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're just a little bit not as deep and, and that could foul trouble, something like that, or a minor injury or something, take somebody out. I just think that you've got, you know, most likely the, the player of the year in the conference and Sabrina Ionescu, um, Satu Sabali, just had a fantastic sophomore season. Ruthie's getting back into it. You know, she can take things down low. Um, and my favorite player on their team is Maite Gazorla. I think she's one of the most underrated, you know, players in this conference. And it was nice to see her make the all-conference, the 15-player all-conference team. <laughs> um, but, you know. Hey, I mean, why not thought, have it be 20? Hey, well, you know, it's interesting. It's a little side note here. So four Oregon players, three Stanford players, two Oregon State players. So do math. That's nine out of the 15 are from those three teams. Wonder so, why they're so good, right? Yeah, you know, so why would those three teams be the favorites to go there? So that's that's why. <laughs> 
Stanford, number two seed, as we mentioned earlier, and put together just an extremely strong body of work outside that 40-point loss to Oregon, which, again, we still can't believe that that actually happened. But anyway, make the case for Stanford. Then, If Stanford's going to be the team that ultimately comes through, gets to the final, potentially upsets Oregon, what what, what has gone right for the Cardinal if that does happen? I was going to say the reason why I say they're a good win is Tara Vanderveer, their coach. I mean, she this yeah. is this is what they do. I mean, you know, it was two years ago. I mean, I know they lost to Oregon last year, but they were in the title game. You know, they got there, and uh, two years before that, they lost two games to Oregon State in the regular season. They get to the the, tur- the tournament title game. They beat Oregon State. Um, I, they, this is a team that I haven't followed Stanford as much, but, you know, you know, Alana Smith, who could be a, a, an All-American possibly, you know. Um, I know that it's just tough. There's so many good players in, in this conference that – you know, you go kind of balance out around the country on all those, but she's right up there. Strong defender, good offensive player. Um, and then um, kind of freak their other other player who made the all-conference team. But, you know, they, they're just solid. They play good defense, and they've got a good coach. And I think that a lot of times, um, and, and not only that, they're going to be smart. If they play Oregon in the title game, that 40-whatever-point loss is going to – I think be that might a be a little big, motivation, huh? Big motivating factor for that team to come out and prove that that was not the Stanford Cardinal that showed up that night. Almost like what we saw LSU do in the 2017 College World Series. They suffered that 13-1 beat down to Oregon State, and believe me, that that was a talking point throughout LSU practice after yeah. that. And we we saw what happened. Yeah, no. So I mean, I just think you know you've got probably the one of the best coaches in the history of this sport, and maybe in any sport. You know, I think Tara's right up there, and she's been around, and she knows tricks of the trade. And you know, they may not have shown everything in that game. That once the game kind of got out of hand, they okay, we're not going to try anything, but they'll probably go back and look at a lot of things that mm-hmm. happened, and then figure out a ways if if they're ending up uh, ending up there uh, in the championship game against Oregon. So. Beavers, number three seed, like we mentioned. Uh, Steve isn't as concerned about the way they're playing. I- I'm still not completely sold, but I do think he makes some good points, especially about the level of competition. And, and you know, um, wh- I guess what-, what do you think it would take then for Oregon State to-, to get by Stanford and survive another classic with Oregon? Because I-, I guess I can't really see that happening unless, you know, Destiny Slocum and Taya Corsdale get back on track. I just, I guess I think at this point, Pivik, we kind of know what we're going to get there, right? And then McWilliams. Goodman, Grimmick, they, they've all actually been pretty consistent for the most part, too. But I guess, you know, Slocum and Corsdale, I, I think those two players in particular are just going to have to be more consistent and make a bigger impact if Oregon State's going to make some noise here. Make shots. That's that. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> no, they, I they execute. I mean, they had open looks. I mean, you know, like at the end of the game, Katie McWilliams had a wide open three uh, against Arizona that would have put them up when they was mm-hmm. they were down two with eleven seconds or fifteen seconds when she took the shot wide open. And she just front rimmed it. Um, they missed. They missed a lot of shots they should make. Um, again, I think it was Arizona State too. They just they missed. They if they make those shots, then then there isn't that pressure on the scoreboard and they're in games and they stay there and and I think. It's so simple, and I say this all the time. And you know, it's it. They're going to execute and get open looks that they have to convert. And I think they just need to make good decisions. And Destiny making good decisions when she drives in and finding the opening in there, and then dishing. And they just need to be confident to take those shots and make them. And when they're making them, they're going to be more confident, and that's going to help on both ends of the floor. So it sounds simple, as I just talked to Mick 
Pivik today, I said, it's, it's a sport about making shots. If you make them, you, you win. And if you don't, you don't. And she kind of looked at me. It's, it pretty much dumbs down the sport. But that, in the case of a team that executes like Oregon State does, that prides itself on that, on both ends of the court, you got to execute on defense too. You can't give up, you know, uncontested threes that to players you don't want to give them up to. So I, I guess instead of making shots, I'll say execution. Yeah, I mean, I guess for from a team like Oregon State, I guess is the the make shots thing is that even accentuated more just because for the most part you know they're going to play quality defense. That's just a staple under Scott Rooks. So really, and like you mentioned, they they often generate good looks on offense. So is that why with Oregon State, you know, you can kind of laugh at basketball just being a make or miss game? But I guess for Oregon State, it really is kind of a little bit more true than for a lot of other teams. I mean, when they hit shots, I mean, whether they were like four for twenty two or I don't remember what it was from three, but it I wasn't mean, good. But if you were able to hit three more of those shots that's nine more points and in a four-point game you're at four and you hit those three shots you're up 13 I mean it's amazing how quickly that can you know how quickly that can change and especially against a team that you're better than you give any team a chance to stay in it these teams are all good you know I mean maybe Washington and Colorado have not as good and Washington State maybe you know they're maybe those three are ones that you kind of go like they're 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 not that good this year but you look at all the other nine teams i mean you throw usc into that that's a that's a good basketball team that's a basketball team that came on this floor and scored 16 straight to open a game i mean yeah that's how not many teams are going to be able to do that um you know against oregon state and then once they started making shots their defense got a little bit better and they were able to claw their way back in so i think i can understand being concerned um, I've just seen a lot of their games. I, I honestly was, I didn't know how they were going to do in that stretch against Utah, Stanford, Cal, and the two Oregons. I mean, I thought they could go like one and four, and the, yeah, and man, they didn't. They no. went three and two, um, and it could have gone really bad. It could have gone zero oh and five. I mean, you always say that, but that showed me a little bit about kind of the maturity of this team. And they sometimes it's it's a curse to have so many good players because you look at some that maybe aren't performing as well and part of that could just be like they're not getting as many opportunities so it's more accentuated when they don't make a shot because they're only getting like four a game and when they miss two of them it looks like oh my gosh you can't do anything right so um yeah i you know execute on both ends and i think they'll be they'll have they'll give themselves an opportunity to to play for a title and win it yeah, we sat here in the exact same spot, what, 10, 11 days ago or something, and watched UCLA play on this floor. And I remember telling you at the time, it's like they, they look like an Elite Eight team to me. I mean, I just thought UCLA had it all. Big, long, physical, just super athletic. Really easily could have won that game. And I just I could not have been more impressed by UCLA on that day. So I guess what, would you be surprised at all then if the Bruins upset Oregon again and made the finals? Because I just I, I can't say that I would. I, I think – the only thing that would cause me to be a little bit surprised is that they would have beat Oregon again and Oregon probably smarting a little bit from that loss. So they would be a little bit more, you know, attention to detail and stuff and, and make sure that wouldn't happen. But no, you're right. I mean, the athleticism that that team has, and you know, they've lost two phenomenal players last year in Jordan Canada and um, Monique Billings. I, that's hard to replace. And it took them a while and they lost some maybe head scratchers early in the year, you know, and then they, they have a four game losing streak. They were two and four in the conference and they were left for dead and then they've won 10 out of 12 you know and those two losses are on this florida oregon state and i believe at maples um no no at, at home to stanford um in that stretch um so yeah i mean they're playing really good basketball it's pristine at the point has shown me a lot i mean i 
it's hard to replace Jordan Canada, and I think she's done a good job. The, what I saw here, and that's a team like you know we were sitting up here next to each other. Yeah, we were pretty impressed. Like that was that mm-hmm. was an impressive. I even tweeted at Coach Corey Close. It's like I was really impressed with what her team did that day. I mean, I so no, I mean I I think Oregon State's probably. I mean, you're never happy to playing Stanford, but I think you're probably happy playing Stanford over UCLA and just how well they offensive rebound the basketball. Oh my gosh, I mean they're incredible. so tenacious. They lead the conference, and then Arizona State second. So Oregon State went up against two of those teams back to back. You know that that offensively rebound the basketball really well, and I think that that's one. If you're really causing concern, is is keeping teams off the glass, and Oregon State's a really good defensive rebounding team. So it's just you know power versus power, if you will, and the other power won out on those two games as far as kind of controlling some of that and giving both teams an opportunity to, to stay close, and the other one to win. I mean, you already did kind of make the case for Arizona State and Utah, but just how realistic really is it for either of those teams to win four games in four days in a tournament setting? I mean, that is just so difficult, and the other teams are above them are going to be rested. They're so talented as it is. It just To me, it seems really unrealistic that a team can actually pull that off. I, what, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know if it's happened recently. I don't think believe Not it's to happened. Not Yeah, I know, because it was Stanford. It was Oregon State, Stanford, Oregon in the last three years, and the year before that, I don't know. I left because Oregon State lost in the quarter. So here's my here's my prediction for sure, and then I'll answer your question. Oregon State <laughs> will either lose in the quarterfinals or make the championship game. They will not lose in the semifinals because they've never lost in the semifinals. <laughs> <laughs> they've been, they've been to them three times and they've won all three. Perfect logic right there. <laughs> um, Flawless. I, here's my thing. I don't believe Utah has what it takes to get all the way and win the title because it, because they're most likely going to play Oregon for the championship on their fourth day, and no one wants to do that. No, it's Now, Arizona impossible. State, I think, would have more of an of an opportunity because they like to play a slowdown, and they can slow down Stanford and Oregon State, and you kind of get that grinded out. And then as long as you, you, know, you have enough legs left to make some shots, then I think they have more of an opportunity. I don't expect either one of them to to do that, but I mean – you wanted me to make a case for one or no, the other. No, yeah, and you successfully and, did. And there's that. So, but I, I don't believe that either one of them will, will get there. Okay. I guess even more important, arguably, than the seeding or the Pactol tournament, I should say, is the seeding for the upcoming NCAA tournament. And at this point, it seems like Oregon and Stanford are the only Pac-12 teams that probably have a shot at earning a spot in the Portland Regional. Uh, in last night's selection committee top 16 reveal, correct me if I'm wrong here, Oregon was fifth, Stanford seventh, Oregon State 11th. So to me, it seems like Oregon State would probably have a pretty tough time jumping up above both of them in the seeding. I guess maybe that loss to Arizona State, it seems like it might have killed their chances. You seem to be shaking your head. You think that I might might not be right on this. No. I think you're right. I don't okay. think there's any chance that Oregon State makes it to Portland. I, I just don't. I mean, you like you said, the Arizona State loss, the only thing that that loss really did to Oregon State was pretty much eliminate them from – because now you can't look at you, – you can't look at things in a, in a vacuum. You can't look at, like, say, okay, let's say that Oregon State does. They win out now, right? So they beat Stanford. So you say Stanford's going to fall something. Mm-hmm. Then they beat Oregon. Oh, well, you beat Oregon two out of three times, so you should be ahead of Oregon. It doesn't work that way. I mean, it just doesn't. So Oregon won the, the regular season title. Well, Oregon State split with them, so they should share the title, right? No, it's the rest of your body of work. Mm-hmm. And Oregon State's body of work is nowhere near as good as Stanford's and Oregon's. So I don't understand how they jump both of them. I mean, if they beat Stanford and they beat Oregon in there, I think they jump Stanford. 
I mean, they easily mm-hmm. could from seven to eleven, because then you would have two more top seven RPI. I think they're both in the top seven. The RPI I haven't looked lately, but or in the seventh in the in their seedings. At least we can go by the NCAA selection committee's thoughts. You'd have two wins over the top two top seven teams in their in their selection or in their seedings, and so they could move up a little bit. I mean, you got to look at like, so 11, let's say you jump four places to seven. That means Oregon has to drop from five to eight. I don't see that happening. Um, especially if Oregon's because Oregon's going to beat UCLA or Arizona state to get there two ranked teams, you know, two two quality wins, yeah, two more quality, you know, wins. so they're getting one of those cause they'll only play one of them. So you get that, you know, um, I mean, or Arizona and USC won't do them any favors, but if you beat them and you get there, you've got a quality win. So you're going to bank on a team that finishes, say, twenty nine and four is going to be better than a team that's twenty six and seven or twenty twenty seven and six. No, I mean, granted, you know, you did that, but tell me the tell me the other good Oregon State win outside of Oregon. Uh, UCLA. Okay, tell me Oregon's other good win outside of. Oregon State. I mean, take your pick, right? Stanford, <laughs> Mississippi State. Yeah. Stanford on the road is the. I mean, I just don't see how you, how do the, how do they can kind of compare? They don't, you know. And, and Oregon's loss was on the road at Michigan State, so that was tough, you know. And that wasn't a neutral court; that was a road game. So you know, you get a little bit more credit for going on the road and, and losing a road game than you do losing a, you know. I mean, I granted Oregon State lost to to you know Notre Dame. Um, you know, but then that Texas A&M loss kind of like, hmm, and two losses to Arizona state. I don't see how they're the top pack 12 team in the seedings. I just don't, I don't, I, we were trying to make a case for it downstairs and I, I just don't see it. And just to clarify, the only way that, uh, that there could be two pac 12 teams at the Portland regional would be, they would need to be five in the top 16 of this. Correct? Well, so, but 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 that that won't happen. So, if in yes. that specific case, two, there could be two Pac-12 so teams. So two top four, two top four seeds teams from the same conference cannot be in the same regional unless there unless. are five top four seed yeah. teams from a conference, and that will not happen because mm-hmm. UCLA won't be a top sixteen seed. You know they won't be a top four seed. They're going to be anywhere. So no, you can't. And I understand that. Now there's this whole talk of, you know. There's a whole lot that can kind of go into this, and I may dive into it in my column this week. You know, you should. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody at Oregon State. I won't mention names, but you know, Oregon State did bid on this regional in Portland, and so Oregon State's putting it on. So there's there's some thought, obviously from the school's perspective. Hey, we bid on this. We're putting this on. We should be invited to it. You know, we're the one forking out. We're the one that are that's putting you know all this stuff. We're the one that did all the work to get it. Should we not be rewarded in a sense? You know, with with being not the top seed, but being the conference team in that regional, there's some there's there's I can understand that because I still think that in women's basketball at this point right now, there's still you want to draw people. And I know I went to the Stockton regional two years ago, and it was miserable. The teams in Stockton were Oregon State, so it was an eight nine hour drive to yeah. Stockton, right? It's a beautiful Stockton. Yeah. Um, sorry, home, sorry, Stockton listeners. Home of Cat Tudor. So um, I won't and say Cooks. I won't say anything really negative because Cat will probably hit me with a crutch. Although I think she's off those now. So That's um, good. South Carolina, Quinnipiac, and Florida State. 
So how many people you think came from South Carolina, Quinnipiac, and Florida State? Well, it's probably a direct flight, so, you know. Yeah. About so, two or three, probably. You know, so, I mean, you look at that, and the numbers are down there. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're, you've got to kind of balance out that you want to draw, and that's kind of why they went back to doing, you know, these regionals on the, they're the first and second round on the home courts because you can draw. And I think, you know, every year Oregon State should probably host one of those if they're remotely close to a top four seed because, my goodness, they're going to bring s- three, four, five, six, seven thousand in, you know, for those games. It all depends on time and some of that stuff. But you, you could know, argue maybe more yourself. than that. Well, you, yeah, I mean, you, you know, but I mean, for for all the games, you know, and I mean, Oregon the same way. I mean, the way they draw and, and things mm-hmm. like that now, you know, that they're good. I mean, any program that wins consistently is going to have a strong fan base. So I can understand that point of, well, if you bid on it, then you get to play in that regional if you advance, you know, whereas you're sent out elsewhere. Um, and it's especially difficult if it was Stanford going there. I don't know if they would be as upset or you know, frustrated, but when it's your rival that then gets to go and play there, I mean, I can yeah. understand some of that. Um, so I get it. You also don't want to stockpile a regional with all conference teams. No. Can you? I mean, is it really fair that Oregon and Oregon State would have to play each other in the Elite Eight, let's say, you know, in order to, uh, you know, so only one of those teams has an opportunity to go to a Final Four, where if you're in different regionals and you're that good, you're good enough to be there, that then you both have an opportunity to play? I mean, the in 2016, Washington and Stanford played in the Elite Eight, but so they were in – a big they complaint were, were it's they? a they big virginia or something but that's a big complaint they always have with baseball it gets structured where sec teams acc teams west coast teams almost always facing off against each other in baseball but they do the travel is a little bit different in that sport yeah but. it is a little bit different but i mean you know and because of the way they kind of do some stuff i mean yeah no i mean i there are it, no easy the, solutions the, the thing is is it's it's different in every sport and you kind of look at it that way and so like i just think you, but the biggest thing that women's basketball right now needs to do is to build off of all this momentum there is mm-hmm. um there is a lot of excitement i think starting in the women's game because uconn hasn't won a title for two years watch UConn go undefeated or watch UConn run the table and <laughs> win, every, win every game by 20 now this year because no one's expecting them to win but you know when it go was always American that conference. you know it's like okay but you know now you're, you're getting fans to come to games you're getting fans excited you're getting a lot of this like oh my gosh there's so many upsets voting in the ap poll this year it's been just difficult it's all get out because every week there's a whole bunch of movement and it's not just 15 to 25 it's been like five to 15 and sometimes one through four you know and so it, there's been a lot of kind of movement i think there's a lot of excitement and energy and i think you want to make the point to get to a place where you're going to have a lot of people show up but then if you're Oregon and you're a, a one seed or a two seed you've earned the right to stay close to home so I I see both sides of it it's a difficult thing um, I know there's been talk of doing all the regionals in one site Vegas and do all the sweet 16 elite eight games there and then you can have a final four in a different area every year that's perfectly fine but getting all the teams into one area it's so easy to get to like vegas i mean it's not that expensive well, i don't know what it is on the east coast to get to vegas but i don't think it's that you know bad I'm, I'm gonna think that you know most people want people to go to vegas and make Usually. it affordable so you can get there and then it's pretty affordable in vegas i guess i've actually never been there so i, I i'm kind of speaking out of what i just what i hear it but it depends on you can make it as cheap or as expensive <laughs> well, as you want if you to. don't gamble i'm yeah. talking about like you know just kind of yeah, the nine the nine dollar course lights the, out the up. hotels and in the transport and just getting there and all those types of things what you do with your money afterwards is all on you um <laughs> and so um 
Um, no wonder you're so depressed sometimes when you came back from Vegas, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it happens, you know. But, you know, it'd be kind of that'd be an interesting thing. Then you kind of get all this out because you're talking about UConn is always going to be at home. I mean, they're in the Albany Regional, and they mm-hmm. always get one. It seems like there's been one in Albany or in New York My in that entire area that, since I was born. I mean, yeah. you know, since Gino Ariema had them winning titles. And now, is that really fair? I mean, I think that some of that no. stuff you kind of branch out. But but then you kind of look at two and you say, is it fair for in this, you know, seeding Notre Dame, a one seed, to have to come out to Portland and play a two seed in Oregon? Well, it's a home game for Oregon. Is that really fair? Well, what's the merit of being a one seed, you know? And so, um, again, this year I think the one through eight seeds are all capable of beating each other, you know, for the most part. And maybe even some some three seeds, you know, the, that nine through 12 line could beat some of those one, you know, the, the, the one through fours and the two through eight or the five through eights. So I think it'll be an interesting tournament, and then UConn will win it all because we all don't – because that's just what will happen. We're all excited, and then we have that, but – but no, to go back, I don't think Oregon State has a chance to get here. I, Me either. I, uh, I just don't see them jump in there. And I mean, the only other thing that the only other way is if Oregon State loses this first game, they drop out of a top five or top four seed, and then they go on the road. You know, I think if it was like last year, I think the NCAA would have been stupid if the if if there was a you know. Uh, the Portland regional last year and Oregon State as the the sixth seed, if they wouldn't have put them in the regional to get to Portland, you know, in the first and second round, they should have been there. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they need to do some of those things because if you do, then you at least you've got an opportunity to get a team to a home region. Plus, it saves the NCA money getting you there because Oregon State would just bus up. They don't have to go anywhere, and that's what they try to do. Some of that stuff too is if you can bus there, then you're gonna. You know, you're gonna you're gonna stay close to That's home. That's what they do in baseball too. So I mean, I get some of that. I understand that. There's no perfect way of doing it. And I know that people are upset all the time. You got like, oh, Washington and Fullerton, wasn't it? Washington and Fullerton last year in, yep. the, in the Supers, you know. And it's but like, they were both number three seeds. Like yeah. that's the thing that sometimes it's just it's, unavoidable. It's unlo- yeah, but, but it's not but so, but it is avoidable. But there have sometimes. been years too where I mean I think the first two wasn't the first two uh college world series for Oregon State, didn't they play USC and Stanford? Yeah, no in the Supers. Yeah, I know when absolutely. the softball team made it to um Oklahoma City in whatever year that was, oh six? Oh five, five, oh six whatever think, year it yeah. was. Um when they made it there. I thought they made it the year after Oregon State okay. baseball did. But anyway, they played Cal in the Supers here. I mean, a Pac-12 team. Yeah, that's not great. And that happens a lot in softball. I mean, granted, there's a, there, you know, at that point, there were like two good leagues that you know, had, had a lot of the teams. But might have had two SEC on SEC baseball Super Regionals last year. It's just, it's just how it, it just, is. You know, and so yeah. I think when you have some good teams, that's going to happen. But you should attempt, in a way, to not do that. But again, hey, it's easier to get there. But, I mean, how fun is that to play a conference team to get to a – to the college world series or the women's college world series or how, how nice it play your rival in the lead eight to get to the final four. I don't know. I, I think it'd just be like, I'd rather play him in the final four yeah. or for the championship or, you know, whatever. And so, um, it's, a, it's a tough thing. And, and, uh, I think the you know, same thing can happen next year. You know, it'll be interesting to kind of see between the same three teams. Honestly. I mean, I know that Arizona state and UCLA have got good teams probably coming back and, and whatnot, but, um, I mean, I can see I mean, if Sabrina decides to stay, then Oregon is going to be right back in the same spot it was this year. Stanford's not going anywhere, and Oregon State's going to be better, I think, than this year. And no slight to this year's team. I just think they've got the potential next year with everybody in and depending on Cat Tudor's health to, to really be a one of those, maybe the best team they've had here in, a, in my time, at least, probably in, in the program history. All right. Well, Pac-12 tournament. I've actually got. I'm gonna go ahead and take UCLA and Stanford in the finals. I'm gonna take Stanford 
to to win this Pac-12 tournament. Based on what you said, I don't think I, I thought you were maybe going to say I was crazy, but after listening to you, uh, maybe maybe not so much. So what I guess what is your finals prediction? I can't remember if you actually had a finals. No, I just said Oregon's going to win. You just um, yeah. I mean, I'm, you don't have I'm, to make no, one. and I'm 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 just trying. I mean, I haven't really thought about like I just think they're going to win. Um, if, I, if, you, if you put me down and had to do something, I'm going to go Oregon and Stanford in the finals. And it won't be a 40-point game. <laughs> That's probably I mean, it may be 10. Point. I don't know. Um, it just kind of depends, um, you know. But, I mean, I mean, Oregon State has an opportunity to get there. Um, I, I just don't – I don't know. I mean, they what they showed me against Stanford, I know there was a 17-1 to run in the second quarter or between the first and the second quarter that broke that game open and it was a 16-point mm-hmm. game. There's your 16 points. So, And at some point you just – things – kind of spiral and you just play through the motion you know the motions and and get out of there and realize okay we're done in this game so um i mean it wouldn't surprise me if any of those top six teams top five teams won um maybe a little bit with arizona state like i said and i mean i just think that oregon's proven through the course they had one hiccup and i think everybody's kind of like ooh, they lost at oregon state in the second of you know a back-to-back against a really good team and then they just second half collapse against UCLA. Other than that, they've been really, 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 really good all season long. So they know how to finish games. They don't have one finisher. They've got a couple. So that's just that makes you really, really difficult to guard. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'll give you one opportunity to plug. What uh what what are some stories you've got you're gonna be working on this week that the listeners can check out on Gazette Times? Uh, I don't even know at this point. <laughs> I don't. I'll have some. I'll have some women's basketball stuff, and uh, that's pretty much it. Maybe I'll have that column on what the NCAA should do about the regionals. Hmm. That might be kind of fun. So maybe check that out on Sunday. Okay. Well, make sure to look for that, Steve. Once again, thanks for coming on the Beaver Buzz podcast. Anytime, Bob. Thanks. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, I, I hope you all enjoyed that uh, that lively conversation with Steve Grass. I, I certainly feel uh, way more prepared for the Pac-12 tournament after recording that. It really does always blow me away just how dialed in Steve is to the rest of the league. Because, I mean, if, if you ask me to break down, you know, 
Arizona State's middle relievers, for example, I, I probably wouldn't really be that much help. So, you know, you have to give credit to Steve for, for just being so informed on the rest of the Pac-12 women's basketball scene. Spring football practice at Oregon State actually got underway on Tuesday. And, you know, I, I don't really have too much to say about football right now. Uh, I will be around for some of the limited media availability uh, coming up. But, you know, I, I don't think we're going to really learn a whole lot in terms of football stuff uh, kind of until the, the, the team begins scrimmaging somewhat next month. The, the quarterback competition between Tristan Jebbia and Jake Luton, that, that's obviously going to continue to be a big story. But I really want to see just how much different Oregon State's defense is going to look in the second season under uh, defensive coordinator Tim Tebasar. You know, to, to put it mildly, uh, the, the Beavers were just eh, not very strong on defense last year. So I, I definitely want to see how things progress there throughout the spring. On the men's basketball front, just not not a not not a whole lot to touch on uh, with those guys. You know, the, the Beavers dropped to uh, pretty gut wrenching uh, decisions last week to Arizona and Arizona State at home, and uh, they kind of appear to be regressing with postseason play coming up. We'll we'll have to see how they bounce back uh, at the Washington schools this week, but I, I'd be lying if I said things are looking rosy for the the men's basketball team. So we'll we'll see what those guys can do in their final two regular season games. To wrap things up, I did want to briefly discuss Monday's unfortunate announcement that Oregon State will be dropping women's swimming at the end of the 2018-2019 season. Athletic Director Scott Barnes sent out a lengthy email, and I figured the easiest way to go about this was probably just to read uh, pieces of it here for you uh, so I don't accidentally misspeak on anything. Uh, In the email, Barnes stated, This decision is based upon the university's commitment to offer all student athletes a quality, equitable, and competitive NCAA experience in keeping with the athletic department's strategic plan and to provide quality and equitable facilities for all teams while balancing financial requirements for athletics facilities. This decision was not made easily. It followed a comprehensive review of all sports and engaged athletics department leadership and the university's athletics financial sustainability plan work group. This review concluded that Oregon State could not meet its commitments while retaining swimming as an NCAA sport. My decision also was made with thorough consultation from OSU President Ed Ray, who supports this action. Barnes uh, had several other notes in the statement. uh, Mentioning that Oregon State's facilities do not meet NCAA standards and that the swim team uh, currently holds its events at Osborne Aquatic Center, which is an off-campus facility owned by the city of Corvallis. Obviously, that that facility is not on par with what the rest of the conference has. Barnes continued in the statement, uh, mentioning that a new swimming and diving facility would cost between $18 and $22 million to build, and that's not including the the cost of annual maintenance, which would which would certainly be uh, substantial as well. He stated, investing in competitive swimming program facilities would negatively impact our ability to serve facility requirements for all sports and all OSU student athletes. Well, I guess first things first is just there. There's not much to add other than it's just always sad to see a sport discontinued. You really do have to feel for head coach Jennifer Buffin and assistant coach Michael Wong and the 20-plus student-athletes who chose to attend and compete for Oregon State. Any, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that you know I, I haven't always uh, necessarily been the biggest supporter of Scott Barnes, but you know I, I feel like he, he is doing the right thing here. Oregon State just simply doesn't have the, the facilities or, or the resources 
to be competitive to be a competitive swimming program in the Pac-12 in my eyes. And to me, it just it, it really wouldn't make sense to to make such a sizable investment for a new facility. It just it, 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 I I don't really see the feasibility of that. So just for, from what I've heard from a, a couple people a little closer to the situation, it sounds like Oregon State will still be in uh, will still be Title IX compliant after eliminating swimming and would not uh, automatically have to add another sport. I'm not sure what the long-term plans exactly are there, but it does seem as if Oregon State can safely uh, eliminate swimming and still be following the rules. So that there's potential to save some money with that. So in conclusion, it, it really is a sad situation overall. I don't really know how else to put it. But I, I think Scott Barnes made a, made a difficult decision, but it probably was ultimately a correct one. So hopefully all, all the coaches and athletes will be able to land on their feet, and I, I really have no doubt that they will. As always, uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Please check us out on thatcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Once again, thanks to Steve Gress for joining me. And I will be back next week with another episode to discuss all the happenings from Beaver Sports throughout the weekend. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at thatcast.com.